Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are going into a brand new series. The series is called The Crown. Uh, that's been kind of a buzz series in, in, uh, in entertainment. Uh, there has been, I try to refocus more on uh, British Crown and it certainly has been before us this past year with uh, the passing on from the queen to the king now coming down through the descendants. And I just thought it would be very appropriate because there is the most amazing story, biblically speaking, about the crown that I think if you begin to piece it together, kind of join the dots, you see something that is transformational and amazing and yet something that should be raising an alert in all of our hearts. There's a text, there's two texts, and so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go to your Bibles, and there's two texts this morning or your devices. The first one, I don't know if it's up on PowerPoint. I didn't give it to them so because I thought of it later. It's in James, so James chapter 1, and then we're going to be going to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is on the PowerPoint. There are notes available for you from our QR code. If you want that, you can uh, activate that with your device and you can have notes downloaded immediately. I want to take you, this I think is going to be, and again, this just came to me just this week, so the notes had already been sent off. I think this is the theme. As I came across this text, James chapter 1, and it's in the context of trials and tribulations and difficulties. It's kind of like welcome to 2023, right? It's in the context of that, that in verse 12, James 1, 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, why are they blessed? Because having stood the test, it's a test, that person will receive, here it is, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I think we're gonna, that's the text. Uh, I hadn't really formulated that, but now, yeah, as of today, it's official, right? There's the text. I'm going to read it again. Verse 12, chapter 1, James. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We all will be receiving in Christ crown of life. We all have crowns. So when we think of crown, we often think of royalty, but we all receive the crown of life if we persevere through the things that are thrown at us. And so what I'm going to be talking of in the next number of, not just weeks, probably months, because there's a lot. Three people, the study of three people, and it's appropriate to study them because they are biblically highlighted multiple times, both Old and New Testament, the first king of Israel, Saul. The second king of Israel, David. And the third king of Israel, Solomon. And every one of them are highlighted biblically because they help us to understand God's plan as he gives us the crown of life What threatens that crown? I'm going to say, as Lori made mention earlier, don't lose your crown. People are losing their crown. 
Don't lose your crown. Don't have it taken from you. Don't forfeit it. So by the studying these three successive kings, we are going to have a plethora of illustration of what it is to live a life for Christ by studying historically the lives of Saul, David, and his son, Solomon. Father in heaven, we just open our hearts to you today. We ask that you would help us to understand when James wrote Don't lose your crown. When he spoke of the crown of life, the crown of life. Oh God, help us to understand the value of that crown that you have given us. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. So now we go to the Old Testament, the story. I invite you this week, in the next few weeks, to read over 1 and 2 Samuel. And... Read about the, st- the life of Saul, a little bit about Saul. He's a perplexing guy. I like him, and honestly, I don't use the word often, I hate him. You know, it's just like, man, what happened to you? Uh, I like him and I hate him um, all at the same time. I know, it's a conflict. But First Samuel chapter 8, invite you to go there. We're going to cover, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Saul. I want to quickly get to David. I'd like to spend more time on David. His is a happier story, but they're sad moments. And those moments are meant for us to try to figure some things out ourselves. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to actually cover uh, chapter 8, chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. How much time do you have? (laughs) Okay, we're going to blast through this. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, Samuel's the prophet, when Samuel grew old, He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. They served at Beersheba, verse 3. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. You picture the intimidating group. Came to Samuel at Ramah, verse 5. They said to him, you are old. Can I just pause here for a second? That's never a good way to start a conversation. Boy, you're looking old. Okay. Okay, let's pick that back up. I just, I, I, I laugh every time I see that. You are old. And, and the next part, basically, if I put it into the Wayne Lucas summary, and your sons are wretched, right? Oh, my goodness, the conversation's going downhill real fast. You've just insulted two most important things, but how do I look? And my family, you just went after. Anyway, here we are. You are old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, now, appoint us a king and lead us. A king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. Verse 7, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. This is part, the saddest part of this text. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. That's the saddest part of this text to me. Brings tears to my eyes, honestly. They've rejected me. These people I've poured my life have rejected me. Don't take it personal, Samuel. It's not just you. I know they said you're old. And <laughs> I know they, they criticized your family. But it's me. It's me they've rejected. When you look at this event, 
I'm going to give the people a bit of credit starting. There's, there's some merit to it. Okay, let's, let's be fair. I can understand why they want a king. Not that their decision's right. It doesn't make the decision of wanting a king right because it was not God's time for a king. It was not God's plan to have a king right then. But we can understand the dilemma of the day. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to get into a conversation, if you, try to, if you try to engage this, you need to understand where they're coming from. So let's do that for a minute. minute. Let's give them benefit of the doubt. First of all, there was internal division. If you go to Judges chapter 17 and then Judges chapter 21, Judges 17 verse 6, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. There was internal division throughout the kingdom. If you go down to even Judges 21, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So the people were in a, in, in a, a turmoil as a, as a people group. According to history recorded in Judges, the nation of Israel really wasn't a nation. It really was just a combobulation of a bunch of loose confederate tribes. So they were a, kind of a messed up group of people. The tabernacle was significant in holding them together. They worshiped around the tabernacle. The judges and prophets helped hold this confederation of tribes together. But when it came to merging all the tribes into a nation, during the period of the judges, it never really happened. They were just a loose confederate of a bunch of municipalities that did their own thing. They did what was right in their own eyes all over. Thus, when that happens, you are weak. These people were weak, and when you are weak, you are susceptible to be attacked by your enemies because your enemy takes advantage of your weakness. Your enemy takes advantage of disunity. The enemy loves disunity, and Israel was a nation of disunity. So there's internal division. There was internal power struggles. One tribe would have more than the other. One tribe is by the water. The other doesn't like it. One is dealing with high-level merchants. The other wants what they have. And so there's that division going on between them. It's a divided group of people. So they want a king. But here's the problem. They already had a king. His name was Jehovah God. They had a king. If they just bowed to him, if they would obey him. The problem wasn't the lack of a king. The problem was they didn't like the king of kings. And so in the refusal to bow to the king of kings, they sought for an earthly king. They wanted what the world has to offer. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember, this is their story, and it's also your story. It's my story. So they looked around, and God would have blessed them. He would... Blessing with unity, prosperity, and blessing. But instead, everyone did what they saw fit. Second reason they asked for a king was not only internally, they were kind of a broken people, but externally. In chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, we can appreciate the concern here. They're about to face war, and all the other nations have a king to lead you into war. You've seen the old movies, right? 
The king leads you into war, gets on his big white horse and leads the army. They didn't have anybody leading the army. So now not only internal, internal problems of disunity, doing what was in their own eyes, what they saw fit, but when they were facing their enemies, they wanted someone to lead them into battle and they didn't have them. A king to lead you into war. Third reason they wanted a king, and we can understand, is they had leadership decay. Samuel's sons, who were the next in line for taking over as judges, they weren't walking in the way of their father. The sons did not walk in the way of their father. They were accepting bribes. They were perverting justice all for the sake of money. Their sons were after things. Probably Samuel was the person who turned things away, and the boys felt that they were done dirt, they were done injustice, and so they strove for the things their dad rejected. They wanted prosperity. So they sought after it, and they were wicked and unjust in obtaining it. I mean, that's really unfortunate, isn't it, when the second and third generations tear down what their fathers have built up. That's what they did. So the Israelites demanded, give us a king. And Samuel's heart was broken. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The leaders walked by sight. They were no longer walking by faith. And as a result, they rejected God. They were rejecting God. You know, they rejected God the Father in this text. But centuries later, the nation would reject God the Son. And we still do. When John chapter 19, verse 15, when Jesus came away from Pilate, they cried, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. They rejected God the Father, King, Samuel chapter 8. They rejected God the Son, King, John chapter 19. They rejected the Father and the Son. We don't want you as our king. We want another king. And lastly, the reason why God allowed them to have a king was for divine discipline. God gave them what they asked for. They would live to regret it. I've come to, I've come to realize that God sometimes answers your prayer even though he doesn't want to. I can show you in Scripture a number of places. This is one. He answers your prayer even though it's not his will. You beg him long enough, he'll give you, and he does it. Why does he do it then? If it's, he does it because it's divine discipline. Until he does it, you can't learn something. So what you've asked for amiss... Sometimes he actually gives it to you and it's not to your best. We see the story of the manna in the Old Testament when the children of Israel begged for manna and, and, he, and, and they, or the time they begged for quail. And it, while it was in their mouth, it rotted and they died. He gave them what they asked for supernaturally, but when they got it, it was actually a source of discipline. God does sometimes does that. You beg him long enough, you might get it. Well, you'll... You'll regret it. Don't beg God for what you want. Simply say yes to what he wants. Isn't that kind of the way it works? God's God, we're not. So they would live to regret it. Uh, none of this caught God off guard. When God 
goes, you go back to Abraham. God actually told Abraham that kings would come from his loins. So God knew kings were coming. So none of this is a surprise. God's going, kings, that's a strange idea. None of this happened. From the beginning of Jewish history, God knew that the nation would produce kings. The Bible says the scepter would not depart from Israel. God, that was from God. But giving Israel a king at this point in time, he was actually disciplining them. They were begging for it. God was displeased, but he says, we're going to do this. We have to do this because we can't get them back on track unless we do. Samuel warned the nation that a king would make it difficult for them. He would place demands on them. And God uses King Saul to discipline the people. God gave them the request to teach them not to trust in man, but to trust in God. There's a number of applications before I go on to point two. First of all, let God be your king. Let God be your king. Don't tell him what to do. If you have disobeyed, confess it and trust his grace again. God will rule and overrule and accomplish his purposes in your life without you having to tell him what to do. God be God. So we move from that point where they ask for a king. We understand why they ask for a king. Again, we're studying what does it mean to have a crown. And so now let's learn a little bit of Saul, the inauguration of Saul as king. We pick it up in chapter 9 of Samuel, chapter 9 and chapter 10. We see the human side of Saul, while in chapter 10 we see God working in Saul's life. First of all, the man Saul, chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. If you have it there, just join me and read. There was a Benjamite, a man standing, whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul. A man of standing whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul. So this tells us something about Saul. Saul, first of all, comes from a leading family. The word standing. There was a, there was a Benjaminite. A man of standing, standing means wealth. A man of wealth, he's a man of good standing. He's the leading family of the community. Saul was accustomed to success. We see that secondly, he was physically strong and attractive. It says in verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome young man as he could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Note that part, a handsome young man, a head taller. Now, in the East, height is important, especially in those times. Tall demanded respect and admiration. He stood above the crowd, and that looked like a kingly kind of a person. And thirdly, the man Saul, he was an obedient man or an obedient son to his father. Chapter 9, verse 3. Now, the donkeys belonged to Saul to Saul's father Kish, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. He followed the story, story through. Uh, he would do that. He immediately, he was obedient to what dad asked him. Saul was an obedient son. And little did Saul realize that when he went out looking for the donkeys, he would leave a servant, he would come back a king. Didn't realize that was going to happen. You read through the story. It's a fascinating story. He goes out a servant to look for his dad's donkeys in obedience. He comes home king of a nation. You know, you never really know what doors may turn on small hinges. 
big doors turn on small hinges. The little things, the insignificant tasks that I perform today, something big takes place down the road. Do it right. Do it to the best of your ability. It may be the door that creates a great privilege and responsibility. Then we get down to verse 4 and 5. It goes on to tell us that Saul was persistent and diligent in doing the job given him. He wasn't easily deterred. This is all good. You get the idea he cared for others. So I want to talk now. They crown him as king. We've looked at the man, Saul. He was handsome, wealthy, high-standing, an obedient man. All is good. They crown him as king. He comes home, he's crowned as king. He didn't ask for it. They wanted him as king. Now that he's king, two challenges rise immediately. Now remember our theme, we've all been given the crown of life. So follow through the crowns that happen, what happens to the crown. So two enemies attack immediately. Soon as he, you become the target. Number one, your enemy will attack your faith. When God places his hand upon you, your enemy will attack. And we read of this in the entire chapter of 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm not going to go through 1 Samuel chapter 11. There's all kinds of stuff there. Saul's enemies now, he's king. Now he's responsible for a bunch of people. And the enemy threatens and they try to make a deal with you. Priest of message one time, never make a deal with the devil because he never keeps his side. He's a liar. So the enemy is threatening Saul's people. He's now responsible for these people. And they said, we won't kill you if you let us gouge out the right eye of every man in Israel. Okay, what do you do with that? We won't kill you if you let us gouge the right eyeball out. First of all, I'm not going to line up. I'm not going to line up and say, let me be the first. Why would they gouge? You know why they would want to gouge out the right eyeball. Because that's the eye. That's the eye. Like if you're, that's the eye you aim. So they'll stop them from ever being a threat. The right eye, you will no longer be able to fight a serious battle. So gouge out the right eye. And I'm sure some maybe thought that attractive. But I like what Saul did. It says when Saul heard this, the first response was righteous indignation. Verse 6, it says God's spirit came upon Saul when he heard this. That's all good. You know, sometimes how often we hear the enemy of God rising up against God's people up against our kids, our kids, up against music, entertainment, our education, and we lack righteous indignation. We passively sit and do nothing. That's not a good response. Saul, when he heard this, rose up in righteous indignation. It says God's spirit came upon him. He invited a response that was not in line with complacency. You know, sometimes we're so busy dealing with the enemy in love, just love them and love them and love them and love them. 
when we need to have a Holy Spirit righteous indignation. We draw a line in the sand and says, you do not cross it. Something that stirs our heart on behalf of others. We are not just going to sit idly by. You notice the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and it made him a new man. You know, we cannot fight and win battles with our own strength. It is through the Spirit of God, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So verse 7, he took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. It worked. But it was the Spirit of God. And, and I like the way Saul openly joined himself with Samuel. Did you note the words there? It says here, anyone who does not follow, he didn't stop with Saul. Anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. The prophetic word. You join yourself with God's word. What's God saying? That's what I'm saying. It's not me. It's God and me. Saul and Samuel. You don't win a battle alone. You need God's voice to speak into your battle and that others will stand with you in prayer. You need others. Verse 8 would tell us that 330,000 men responded. That's not bad. That's pretty good. And the outcome was verse 11. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions during the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Wow. Here's the point. When you fight the enemy of your faith, you need to fight under the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. The enemy will attack your crown. Fight under the anointing and power of the Spirit of God. Praise God. Number two, the second challenge. When he received the crown, he had to overcome the advice of his friends. Beware of some of the advice. We pick it up in verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 11, 12. Again, we're scooting pretty quickly through here. 1 Samuel eleven twelve. Then the people said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Let me just tell you what happened here. Well, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 27, this is in a response to chapter 10, 27. When Saul had been anointed king, the first king, when he had been, the day of inauguration should have been a day of celebration right across the kingdom. But instead, verse 27, but some scoundrels, I like the word, some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? And it says they despised him and brought him no gifts. But, call, but Saul kept silent. That's what it said back in verse 27, chapter 10. So now we're over in chapter 11, verse 12. And the people remember this and they said to Samuel, the prophet, they said, who was it that said Saul? Saul? They were referring to these group of people. Turn the men over to us, we'll kill them. Because we've proven Saul's the guy. Where are they? Let's get them. Let's find them. Let's kill them. They should never have done that. And they should never have done that. True. 
But Saul stepped up in verse 13 and said, no one will be put to death today for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Praise God. I thank God. Saul was a godly man right here. You know, all leaders have your critics. When you step out to lead, you will be a target as well. All leaders have critics. All those in public places have people who won't follow. And sometimes it's good for a leader to not get caught up in that. Sometimes, you know, you can have authority, but you don't always have respect. And that's okay. You can have authority, you won't always have respect. Beware of what your friends will try to get to your heart to try to bring out their justice. What was Saul to do? Well, we see it in Romans 12. Saul, in Romans 12, 17, I mean, what do you do when you have that kind of criticism? Well, it says in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. It's about vengeance. Why? Let God do it, (laughs) right? He does a whole lot better job than you can anyway, and you're going to get all bent out of shape, and you're going to lose your crown in your attempt to take vengeance. Don't. Sit back and say, it's God's problem. It's not mine. Do not take revenge, verse 19, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, and in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good, because that's the tree of life by which we partake. So Saul faced the attack of the enemy by faith, He overcame the advice of his friends. So when God has given you the crown of life, make sure you keep him as king. When your enemy of your soul attacks your faith, rise up with righteous indignation and call on the Spirit of God. But do not overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. And the last part I want to share, now this is the downturn. We're going to talk about this today the last part, next week, and probably the week after. This is the sad part. This is the part that should have every alarm bell go off in our life. Don't lose your crown. Here we find ourselves on the heels of a great victory, Saul's great victory. Note this, one victory does not make you a conqueror. You got to finish the race winning. We are in the middle of our race somewhere, all of us. And because you've had some victories, beware, you're not yet done the race. That's just not to cause you to be paranoid. It's causing you to run the race well every day. Don't lose your crown. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're over in chapter 13. Another battle. This time he only, Saul, has 3,000 soldiers. He's now working with his grown-up son who was thought to take over the throne, Jonathan. He's working, and so he uses 3,000 fighting men, and these 3,000, he splits them up, 2,000 to go with one, 1,000 to go with the other, 3,000. And then now we pick it up in verse 5. The battle's not going to go, it's, it's, it's going sideways here. 
He's only got 3,000 lined up. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. It says, the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. The Philistines had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. You've got 3,000, and they've got that many. They've got 3,000 They've got 3,000 chariots, let alone soldiers. <laughs> Their soldiers are as many as you can count. You can't see the end of them. And it says here, they camped... They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven, verse 6, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns, verse 7. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, quaking with fear, shaking, knees-knocking, who wouldn't? Verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. This is not looking good. Verse 9. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul, the king, Saul, not the prophet, not the priest, Saul, the king, offered up the burnt offering, verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel shows up and Saul goes out to greet him. Verse 11, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, note his reply, mark it in your Bibles. I'm teaching the youth to do this in our youth group. Mark this in your Bible. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, verse 12, I thought, note those words, when I saw, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering, verse 13. Samuel says, you have done foolish, a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all times. But, now I was told this by my psychology teacher, every time you're in a conversation, listen for the but, B-U-T. Because everything they've said prior doesn't really matter. It's what they say after but. Right? There's just a word for you. Listen to the but. But, that's what they're going after. But, now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Remember, Jonathan, his son, was supposed to take over the kingdom and it would never happen. God's plan was it would. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out and he's already, in, he's already actively in place. We know it would be David. What Saul did that day was a serious offense. It's hard for us to see the seriousness of it. We would have to have lived in the time to grasp the seriousness of offering an unholy sacrifice to God. It was serious. And because he did not listen and obey, it cost him his crown. Listen, there's the, there's the point. We've been given the crown of life, but people are losing the crown. Because he did not listen. We ought to look hard at this event. 
and what happens here. What happens? Okay, there's a number of things that happen. I want to close with these. Here they are. What causes us to lose our crown? Unbelief. Unbelief. Saul's first step down, he was doing so good, was unbelief. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 11, Samuel asked Saul the question, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I saw. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, what is faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not. Tell me. We don't see. We don't have to see it, but we believe it. Faith. If it's only ever seen, it's not faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Saul looked and saw. What did he see? He saw a very large enemy. What did he see? His people were fearful and out of control. That's what he saw. He looked and saw. Chapter 10, verse 8. Besides, Samuel had not kept up his end of the bargain. I mean, this is what he saw. In verse 8, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. Samuel, this is what Samuel had said. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, chapter 10, verse 8. I will surely come to you and sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That's why we read earlier he waited seven days. He was following what Samuel had said, and Samuel didn't show up on time. Remember that? And that came from chapter 10, verse 8. I'll come, and I'll do the sacrifice. The sacrifice will happen. Samuel's act, remember, prophet, speaks on behalf of God. I will come and do it. You need to wait seven days. Saul waited the seven days, but no Samuel. Go figure, the guy's late. On the most important day of his life, the guy shows up late. Therefore, Saul chose, by what he had seen, Things weren't good, remember? Large enemy, fearful people under him. He chose to do it himself. You don't do that. Saul forgot what had been said at his crowning. His crowning, chapter 12, verse 24. I'm going to show you this, 12, 24. At his crowning, it's said, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. I'm going to read that again. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart or... The kingdom will perish. You'll lose your crown. You see unbelief. The first step down is unbelief. He didn't believe God was going to come through for him. And secondly, you see impatience. Impatience. It's one of the reasons that one of the fruit of the Spirit is called patience. Impatience. Saul couldn't wait for Samuel. Yeah, he was late. He should have been on time, yes. But you know, isn't life like that? It doesn't always line up. You noticed? Doesn't always line up. Why is it that God says, I'm going to do something, and then it's like he leaves you for an extended period of time? You know, Mary, you're going to have a child, and now you've got to go through all this stuff. Joseph, you're going to be the leader of Egypt. And then he gets thrown into slavery. Why is it like this huge amount? David, you're going to be king. Now, 13 to 14 years later, from running from cave to cave to cave to cave, where is God after he tells you these things? <laughs> he disappears. does it all the time because it's testing. He knows if he gives quickly, you are not ready for it. And this was a great moment for Saul, but he didn't pass. He didn't pass. Saul couldn't wait for Samuel. And it's interesting to note when you read 13 chapter, 14 chapter, 15 in each chapter, 
Chapter 13, 14, 15, how Saul subtly changes. You, you watch his spiral down as his crown slips from his head. Chapter 13, we see here in this chapter, he's running ahead of the Lord. He needed to wait and be in obedience and trust God. He's running ahead. Chapter 14, you read chapter 14, he's now hesitating. He doesn't know which way to turn. And by the time you get to chapter 15, he's lagging behind. He's not even going in the right direction now. Chapter 13, runs ahead. 14, hesitates. 15, he's not even stepping up to the plate. Brings me to the next point. Not only unbelief, impatience, but dishonesty. When Samuel asked him what he had done, Saul was dishonest. He began to give a barrage of excuses. Did you see them one after another? Somebody told me this one time. A person who is good at thinking of excuses is rarely good at anything else. I wrote it down. thought there's a word of wisdom. A person good at thinking of excuses is rarely good at anything else. They're good at excuses. Samuel then declared the verdict. Chapter 13, verse 13. Samuel says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Who? David. And we understand something of David's heart in Psalms 78, 72. It says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. It takes both. It takes skill. Saul had the skill. But if you're going to keep your crown, you've got to have integrity of heart. So I wrap it up today. Are you seeking another king over your life when there's one true king? You see what others have? They have wealth, so you pursue the wealth. They have prestige, you seek prestige. You seek finances, you seek power maybe. Sometimes God will give you what you ask, but he does it for discipline, not because it will do you good. You must fight the good fight of your faith because it's in your faith the battle is won or lost. Paul would say to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. The battle is not the battle of this world. The battle is the battle of your faith. Resist taking revenge. Leave it to God. Overcome evil with good. And don't lose your crown. You will lose it through unbelief, living by sight and not by faith. You will lose it through impatience, running ahead of God. That's why over and over it says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And you will lose it through dishonesty. God doesn't simply look for skill. He looks to your heart to see if he sees integrity to keep our crowns. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.